Welcome to the Small Business Buzz. I'm your host, attorney and entrepreneur, Kimberly Hanlon. Today, I'm talking about what every business owner needs to know about bankruptcy. And we have career coach, Kelly Lewis, here to talk about the ways that entrepreneurs can use scientific tools to find the optimum fit for what they do and how they do it, for maximum success and satisfaction. Welcome. We're glad you're here. Okay, let's get started. Today, I'm talking about what every business owner needs to know about business bankruptcy. Before I get into the technical legal aspects, I want to talk a little bit about the human and emotional aspects of it, because for many people, there's a lot of anguish and and self-doubt and low self-esteem and even depression around this issue. So it's kind of a tough and touchy subject. At the same time, a business bankruptcy might be just the perfect thing at the right time. And bankruptcy in general is designed to give people a fresh start. Really, you can take a bankruptcy and turn it to your advantage. Not everybody does, but plenty of people do. If you do find yourself in your business in a situation of needing to file for bankruptcy, there's no reason why you can't get up, dust yourself off, and go on to what's next. You'll come into what's next with a good bit of experience and a good idea of what to do differently. You know how they say hindsight is twenty twenty. Well, in this case, it's a way that you can take that hindsight being twenty twenty and really make use of it. I encourage you to have a good amount of grace for people you know who end up going through this. And if you're one of the people who are considering this as an option, I recommend that you give yourself a good amount of grace as well. Often when business owners start a business, they have enough resources to get it going. And they have an idea of how quickly the business is going to grow. Businesses don't always grow at the rate that new entrepreneurs think that it will. And if the growth rate doesn't outpace the rate that resources get depleted, then that's a real problem. Sometimes business owners just cash in all they got and use all their credit and even borrow from friends and family or or even sometimes take on outside investors to keep the business going. And sometimes that's enough to give the business the time it needs to grow and get to a positive cash flow situation And then people get paid back and the business continues to grow. And there comes a day when the business owner looks back and says, oh, those were such tough times, but man, I'm glad that we saw it through. But it doesn't always work that way. Sometimes business owners don't have those personal financial resources that they can cash in and apply. Sometimes they don't know friends and family members who are willing or able to to lend or make investment. And very, very, very often it would be radically irresponsible for them to do that anyway. Business owners do need to put their families first and their health first. While it's inspiring to hear the stories about entrepreneurs who cashed everything in and put it all in the line and then made it through the tough times and then soared on to success, that's definitely not a road for everybody. It's not a road for everybody emotionally and it's definitely not something that everybody can do situationally. And don't get me wrong, I'm all about buckling down and tightening the belt and working through lean times. But sometimes that's not the right choice. Sometimes really smart and really dedicated, hardworking people do their very best. And nonetheless, their circumstances make it such that risking it all is the absolute worst choice. When I see that happening, I think, but for the grace of God, I go. Okay, that said, let's talk about what your bankruptcy options are under the law. If you are a sole proprietorship, then you are personally liable for all the debts of your business. And so your business can't file for bankruptcy separate from you. So yours will have to be a personal bankruptcy, as opposed to what's classified as a business bankruptcy. 
Now, mostly when people think about bankruptcy, they think of what is a Chapter 7 bankruptcy, and that's where you have a certain amount of assets that you're allowed to keep, and then everything else is liquidated and used to pay off your creditors. But if there's not enough to go around, then whatever is left is discharged. And of course, like everything in the law, there are some exceptions. There are things that are called non-dischargeable debts, like student loans. There are income requirements for being able to file a Chapter 7 bankruptcy, so not everybody qualifies. When people don't qualify for a Chapter 7 bankruptcy, they often file for a Chapter 13 instead. With a Chapter 13, you have three to five years to pay off the debts. And there's a bankruptcy trustee that looks at how much income you have coming in, and they make a repayment plan, and you make payments every month to the trustee. And the trustee makes the payments to your creditors. And what doesn't get paid off at the end of five years gets discharged, as though it were a Chapter 7. That that portion were a Chapter 7. The good news about a Chapter 13 is that you get to keep your stuff. Now, if you have a business entity, like a corporation or an LLC, then you'll need to file a business bankruptcy. And actually, the owner files the business bankruptcy on behalf of the business. But that doesn't mean that the owner is filing for bankruptcy personally. Provided that you've kept your business finances separate from your personal finances and you've kept clean financial books, and provided that you've kept your corporate records up to date and you haven't done anything that's considered improper or fraud-like, like getting credit under false information or getting credit knowing that you'd be filing for bankruptcy soon or things like that, provided you haven't done any of those sort of things, then there's no reason that the court would want to pierce the corporate veil. So only the business will be responsible for the, the debts of the business and your personal assets stay yours. That's one of the reasons why it's so important to set up as a corporation or an LLC. I mean, that's really the, the primary protection, right? Well, in addition to asset protection as far as lawsuits and things like that are concerned. But it's so important that you run that corporation or that LLC the right way to keep that protection in place. But that's a whole nother podcast. So your business can file for a Chapter 7 bankruptcy. And when a business files for a Chapter 7 bankruptcy, all the assets of the business get liquidated and the money used to pay off the creditors. And of course, if there was money left over, you as the owner would get it. That doesn't happen all that often. Most of the time, the creditors get paid literally pennies on the dollar and the rest just gets wiped off the books. But with a Chapter 7 bankruptcy, the business no longer exists or operates after the bankruptcy. The option for a business, if it wants to continue operating and if it wants to keep all its stuff and see if it can make it through, is a Chapter 11 bankruptcy, which you might have heard of it as a Chapter 11 reorganization. It's similar to a Chapter 13 bankruptcy in that you're given a plan to pay off all your creditors over time, but a key difference is there's no limit on that time frame. And so all of the debts will eventually get paid off. There's no discharging part of the debt and having it wiped off the books. Another thing about Chapter 11 is the judge has the discretion to take the management responsibilities away from the owners and have a bankruptcy trustee run the company instead. Now, that certainly isn't what usually happens. Usually that's only in cases of like fraud or gross mismanagement. Usually the business owners continue to run the company. And there's very specific rules around all of this. But this is a very general overview. Whether we're talking about a personal bankruptcy in a Chapter 13 or a business bankruptcy in a Chapter 11, well, individuals can also file for a Chapter 11, but it's way more complicated than a 13, and it's rare that individuals choose to do a Chapter 11. But anyway, sometimes an individual or a business starts in a Chapter 13 or Chapter 11 and then circumstances change such that then a Chapter 7 seems like a good idea. If your situation is such that you need to take some pressure off of yourself from creditors, you might consider a 13 or 11, set up the plan, start making payments, 
and see if that helps you stabilize things. And if not, you always have the chapter 7 option. Sometimes businesses really have to go through that chapter 11 process to get the breathing room they need to make it through something that is a swing in the market or just so they can make it over over the hump until they can get into really what's good positive cash flow. Chapter 11 bankruptcies are expensive though. You'll be paying your attorney, you'll be paying for the bankruptcy trustee, but that might be a good option for your company. What you should know is that bankruptcy is a complicated and highly technical area of law, so it's definitely not something you should even consider doing yourself. And for a business bankruptcy, or even a personal bankruptcy that's mixed with a sole proprietorship, it's more complicated than your garden variety personal bankruptcy. So you're really, really going to want to take care in selecting your attorney. Something you should know is that bankruptcy is a matter of federal law, and so you can hire a lawyer who's outside of your state if need be. You should get the best and most experienced attorney that you can afford. Find somebody who has done these kind of bankruptcies before and who has a good working relationship with the court and a good working relationship with the bankruptcy trustees. I cannot tell you how important that is. And of course, also with the court's administrative office. That will make a huge difference in how your bankruptcy goes. If you want to know more sort of specifics about the bankruptcy process, then listen to last week's podcast. I talked about it in context of what you should do if a customer of yours files for bankruptcy, but really I outlined the whole process. So go back and listen to that episode and it'll give you that overview. Okay, if you'd like to read my blog post about this, the link is on my show notes, or you can find the post on my website at khanlonlaw.com. That's K-H-A-N-L-O-N-L-A-W.com. And while you're at it, sign up for my bi-weekly business newsletter. In each newsletter, I have articles that'll help you in running your business, and sometimes I have bonus materials for you to download for free, like small business legal guides, or recordings of webinars, and sometimes even model legal forms. Okay, up next is my interview with Kelly Lewis. life of an entrepreneur is a never-ending struggle to sharpen that competitive edge that will place your business ahead of the competition. Fortunately, the shape of the average workplace has changed. Finding that fine balance struck between cost efficiency and excellence is now easier than ever. We need help when we need help, but we don't need to be burdened with full-time staff. That's where Astute Business Concierge can help you. Astute Business Concierge. More than just smart, astute. Visit us on the web at astutebusinessconcierge.com to see how we could help you. Okay, today I have Kelly Lewis, career coach, here uh, to visit with us about what she does. and, And thank you for being here, Kelly. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to have this conversation. I thought today we could visit a little bit about what you do for people who are transitioning, whether that's from one job to another or from a job to starting a business or even people who own a business, but they want to refine what it is that they do and how they do it for more satisfaction. How does that sound to you? Yeah, sounds great. Great. Sounds good. Well, let's start with a little bit about you and what you do and how you do it. Yeah, sure. So, um, like you said, I'm a career coach, but I'm specifically a career choice coach. So I really focus on helping people who are either in mid-career and want to make a career change, but just to know what direction to move in, or um, younger people, um, high school, college, or recent graduates. Um, some people in their mid-20s work with them, and they're making an original uh, career um, decision. And uh, what's great about working with younger people is we get them started on the right track and in the right lane early in the career versus many of us who try to make this decision at about 40, right? After we've been in our career for 20 years. Basically, um, I help them move them through the process from, you know, understanding clues and designing key components and then 
uh, looking for careers that match that spec sheet. And we can talk more about that if you want. But, you know, in summary, what it's really about for me um, is empowering people to see themselves from a position of their strengths. And then, of course, the practical application is now go back out into the world and apply that to your working life. Um, And that's really the crux of what I do. Um, We can talk about more specifics if you want. Well, I know that you have a little bit different approach to assessing people's strengths. Do you want to visit a little bit about that, kind of how you came upon that, and what what is that you do now? Yeah. You know, it's really interesting because many people are having these conversations in their heads in terms of their careers, uh, but, you know, it's a really big um, nut to crack, right? And you can't keep it in your head. Um, so what we've done is we've actually designed what we call a career design method. And it's a process that moves someone from this, I don't know what I'm going to do for a living um, or how I'm going to do it, but I know it's not what I'm doing right now. Um, people generally have kind of an inkling or a sense, but they need help gaining clarity about the elemental pieces about who they are. Um, and so what I really help people do And I think what's unique about the way I practice and the people I'm affiliated with is we really work to uncover um, innate aptitudes and personality and temperament. So this is your natural wiring. This is the way you were born. And it's really critical to understand those pieces um, because if you get them wrong or you don't understand it or you kind of swim upstream against it, you will put yourself into situations that are extremely challenging. Now, um, you know, we're driven, we're intellectual species, we can figure out how to do anything. Uh, but the goal here is to really get you in that sweet spot. So we actually do um, testing. Um, one of the tests that we use for personality and temperament is the Myers-Briggs type indicator. Is that the ENFJ one? Yeah, so you get a four-letter type code, Okay, yeah, right? I'm yeah. an ENFJ. Yeah, I don't ENFJ. know what the other ones are. I just <laughs> yeah. know what I am. Most, yeah, that's all that counts right now. That's okay. <laughs> um, yeah, that is you know, a tool that's been around for approximately 75 years. It's used all over the world. Um, it's you know, scientifically vetted um, and proven. It's based on you know, the uh, behavior um, studies of Swiss psychologist Carl Jung. So we use that. And then the other piece is, we test for up to 12 natural aptitudes. So remember, aptitudes are different than skills and knowledge, which are important, but skills and knowledge, we learn. We learn in school, or we learn on the job, or we learn in life. And what we really want to get to the core of is, what? how are you naturally or innately wired from an aptitude standpoint? So again, we use scientific testing um, to test things like your spatial sense of the world. Are you more spatial and like... Oh, right. So that would be like me being a delivery van driver when I can't parallel park a sports car, right? That would be a problem. So that that would be a problem. Or you, um, as an attorney, right? Um, Most attorneys are most successful. They have a non-spatial orientation. So they really have their arms and their mind around... um, concepts and Mm -hmm. ideas and theories, a little bit Mm -hmm. less tangible, nebulous. And then there are other people on the far end of the spectrum who are more spatial. Um, And they uh, do best by operating and working um, with things in the real world, the tangible world, or thinking in 3D, architects, builders, some engineers, things like that. So medicine, a lot of medicine, right? So that's just an example. So we do scientific um, testing to test for those aptitudes as well. And then we get really clear on those elemental pieces. And then I help clients start um, putting those pieces back together. That's so interesting. You know, I should come in and have you test me. Because I have have one foot in both worlds Mm -hmm. in a way. Mm -hmm. You know, I have that design background. and, And it's easy for me to, it's easy for me to envision how a project is going to uh, you know, how a physical thing is going to be before I create it. And I create a lot of things. Yes. But then I also, I also have that part that I, I like the, the conceptual thinking mm-hmm. and the sort of mental gymnastics that go with that. Mm-hmm. I would guess, Kimberly, too, if we tested you, we'd probably find you, there's a group of people that kind of sit right in the middle and we refer to them as tangible. They can go both ways. Um, or if they're leaning more towards that spatial orientation, um, they don't need to be actually working with the objects. So I would guess, even in your law work, 
when you're thinking about cases or putting things together. You are probably seeing them in a very 3D way in your brain. Like you've got pockets of this and pockets of this. And Oh, I, I do. Um, yeah. I, I think of things a lot of times in sort of almost like a, a flow chart sort of way or a Venn diagram sort of way. Um, something that my, my dad has an engineering background and he is extremely linear. Yes. And something that he says to me all the time is, I don't know why you have to get the cart before the horse. <laughs> I, so he said this to me for years and years and years. And, and I want to say maybe a year and a half, two years ago, I distinguished kind of what was the crux of that. It wasn't like a conflict. It's just, a, you know, it's something mm -hmm. that he says to me and, I, and it used to have me go. <laughs> <laughs> but now it doesn't. But here's, here's why he said that about me is because my dad, he has to complete this part of the task before mm -hmm. he goes on to the next one. And he has mm -hmm. to complete that part before he goes on the next one. And sometimes I'm like, why does it take him forever to get going on the thing that he wants to get going on? Where I... I can see the whole, how it's going to be, and I can work a little bit on this piece that's in mm -hmm. the upper right-hand corner, and then I can work in this piece that is mm -hmm. in the, uh, the lower left-hand corner, and this piece over here that's off to the side, and, and, and I know when it all comes together, it'll all fit. And so I don't have to have the pieces done at the same time, or I don't have to have the pieces in sequential order for it all to fall together. For me, I just, it, it's just natural. So this is interesting because I think you're probably hitting on something else. Um, a couple other things we test for um, in, as far as those natural aptitudes is your problem-solving problem style. There's two core problem-solving styles. One we refer to as diagnostic reasoning. The other is analytical reasoning. And I would guess your data and you are opposites. I'm guessing too. <laughs> so analytical reasoning is really all about you know operating the world and solving problems as it sounds, in a very linear fashion, A plus B plus C equals D. Really, uh, people with this type of problem solving are really brilliant at solving problems within a certain construct or set of rules. Accountants do this really, really well. And then there are the other folks who um, have a high sense of diagnostic reasoning. And um, they have this ability to look at um, seemingly disparate clues and then just come up with this really accurate conclusion. To the other people, you look like, what? How did this happen? You, you know, how are you putting these things together? Um, but it's a, and it happens very fast, so not in a linear fashion. Really creative problem solving, and usually very accurate. So that's probably what's happening with I, you guys. I bet so. Yeah. My dad, he's so brilliant at that whole troubleshooting aspect. Yeah. There was this, um, and, I, and I don't mean to go off on a tangent and talk about my dad, but but it's interesting. Yeah. So he, there was this um, factory in China that made these computer chips and something in the process kept on failing mm -hmm. and they'd have batches and batches of these computer chips mm -hmm. that were ruined. And they're working with these like rare earth minerals and it, it's all very high level and, and it, it's like you don't want to mess up a whole, you know, batch of, of computer chips. And they had engineer after engineer after engineer out there to try to figure it out. And nobody could and nobody could. And so the guy who owned the factory said, I'm going to fly you to this remote place in China and, and I want you to figure it out. And my dad said, well, that's this, what you're wanting me to do is a little bit outside of what it is that I know the systems I normally work in. And the guy goes, you know, at this point, I don't care. I'm desperate. And so he flew hmm. my dad out there and, you know, they had had run through so many other engineers who had really spent a long time looking at this problem. They allocated a week for my dad to be there. He diagnosed it in the first day and a half. Hmm. And then they spent the rest of the time. Designing like, the solution, right? Well, no, the, so, and actually my dad was not very happy with the solution because in China, just things are different there. Um, they have more manpower than, than anything. And so instead of, designing the solution that would work within the computer. I don't know. I, see, here's, I don't even have words for it because <laughs> this is my industry, but whatever. <laughs> the, the computer program that would... Software. Yeah, whatever. Design. You know. Mm -hmm. Instead, they had a fellow stand there and watch these gauges. And when this gauge got to a certain point, he was supposed <laughs> to do, like, tweak a knob. And if something got to the... You know, 
But dad figured out exactly what it was that was going wrong and what the, what that, that point was. And, and dad said, well, it'd be easy enough for us to put in place something automated that would mm-hmm. keep this mm-hmm. going right. And they're like, well, no, we have people and we need to employ people. Yeah. And, uh, that it's had so, been so frustrating for him. For oh, yeah. Too, right? But he fixed it. I mean, yeah. that's like the wild thing. It's like <laughs> the thing that nobody could fix. My dad could fix. That's fantastic. You know, but he's. Yep. Probably his he's solution. brilliant. Yeah. He's brilliant in his own way. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and I, you know, yeah. you, you're hitting on a really good point. He's brilliant in his own way. And I think that is the crux of my message here, right? Is that um, we are all uniquely wired. And it's really critical to understand what those innate or natural temperaments and personality and aptitudes are. You can learn a bunch of things. But, you know, when you figure out those aptitudes and you put them to work for yourself, you create this, you live in that sweet spot, right? Um, and oftentimes, you mentioned earlier that you're an ENFJ, yeah. right? Okay, you don't know the other 15 I don't know anything types, else. Right? So like, we, that's we what I am. <laughs> but that's a perfect example because we see the world through our lens, right? Um, and It's an ENFJ world. It, of course, <laughs> it's an INFP <laughs> world for me. <laughs> so, But the brilliant thing to understand is uh, not any of these things are right or wrong, or if you have lower, lower do- diagnostic reasoning or lower idea flow, that's absolutely perfect because there's tons of opportunity in careers that celebrate that and need that. Oh, yeah. Don't ever have me go diagnose a factory in China. I mean, that's just, it's not going to go well. <laughs> I can just see it. You standing in the middle of it and just like, well, this, that, this, I suggest. Like, I suggest that you open this up and have some windows and let's let's talk about color. Let's bring some color into the room. Yeah, that'll that's brilliant. That's brilliant. So I think, um, I, you know, that's basically that's what I do. I don't know if you're interested here. Two seconds about my background and what landed me here. Oh, sure. If if people yeah. are interested or thinking about a career change, so I actually you know started a long time ago. Undergraduate school, I did what lots of college students do. I um, just randomly picked a major, right? So I have a biology background, a bachelor's degree, never used it a day in my life. What I know now is I was highly influenced by my high school um, biology teacher who was extremely influential. I loved all his classes, you know, that kind of thing. Um, And I uh, think that happens a lot too, where you'll have a teacher who's passionate and engaging and you're like, Oh, I love this. Yes. And then you go somewhere else and or you go to college and then it's all of a sudden, wow, why is microbiology not very interesting in reality? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that's that's exactly right. So when we're younger, think about sending an 18-year-old out into the world right now and saying, "Okay, you either need to go to work or go to college, and if you go to college, then you need to pick a major." I mean, they have no context of themselves necessarily or um natural aptitudes or oh, yeah and if you're got to go to work your choices are mcdonald's <laughs> or uh <laughs> or you know three or four careers off the top of your head and that's it when there's really thousands of um, different types of careers out there um and for me so i was influenced heavily by um you know my high school teacher Be- and i know now as an adult it, a grown adult that it was because he was such a dynamic teacher and so engaging for us and treated us like adults. Okay, so it wasn't the biology at all, right? It was him. All right, so then a few years later, I, st- I got a job in business. And then I said, okay, if I'm going to do this business thing, I'm going to do it right. Decided to go back and get my MBA. Seemed like a good idea at the time. And that kind of launched um, about a 17-year marketing career, right? Um, and I just, you know, I was really interested in the human behavior aspect of all things related to marketing. But, you know, you don't always get to do that kind of work. So my career kind of took me. I became more and more, quote, unquote, successful, um, bigger jobs, budgets, salaries, that whole thing. And I have to tell you, Kimberly, every year I felt less and less and less like myself until I got to the point where I, I stopped and said, I'm making um, an intentional choice here. So I've gone through this process, this career change process. Um, so I know what it feels like to sit in that at other the crossroads seat. yeah absolutely but just if you make the commitment you can do it and if you've got tools that can help you start sorting through things that's important 
And what I know now about, you know, my MBA work and all my business work, that's all very non-spatial work. And I tend to be much more tangible and spatial. So there were lots of reasons why it didn't fit. And after I did all this work and understood my natural wiring, I understood why those didn't make sense and why this does. And I love to do what I get to do. And it's your natural wiring to do what you're doing. Absolutely. Very humanistic, right? My personality's that way. I tend to be more introverted, love really deep one-on-one conversations with people versus buzzing around an office for 10 hours a day, right, in various meetings. Diagnostic reasoning, so I can help people pick out their clues and help them see a puzzle that they maybe weren't able to put together. So That's so cool. It's very cool. So very, very lucky. Very cool. <laughs> I know that you can't really share too many details about uh, results that you've seen, mm-hmm. but just like I can't either. But in mm-hmm. general, in broad terms, or if there's some not super sp- fact-specific stories that you can give. Yeah. Um, Well, I think it's uh, one that's particularly interesting as sitting here in your office. um, We were working with a client who was an attorney who was in practice 10, 12 years um, at this point, and she was just, just unhappy. But, of course, you spend a long time in school, spend a lot of money, invest in your practice, right? Um, but she wanted to see what else was out there. We um, ended up testing her, all the tests that I just told you about. Um, and it turned out she was highly spatially wired, right? And what's interesting is, obviously, this is a female um, attorney. And um, just in general in our population, only approximately about 25% of women test out to be highly spatial. We're not quite sure why, if it's a genetic thing, I don't know, or if it's a cultural thing, because in our culture, when girls are little girls, we don't hand them, you know, the blocks and the tools and to play with, right? Although I did. I mean, no, I mean, I was my, I'm an only child. And so I, I grew up being my mother's daughter and my father's son. So oh. growing up, I helped like re-roof the house. Yes, and I helped. You know, I can run a chainsaw. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can. I can, mm-hmm. I can do plumbing. I can do all sorts of stuff like that. So that's really, oh, which is really fantastic. That so might be why I have you, one foot in each. Absolutely. So you were probably predisposed to have, you know, one foot in each. But then, because your parents helped uh, you explore that, um, and that it resonated with you, kept that in your life to a certain degree, like with your design work and then this work and that kind of thing. So this woman I'm talking about, we you know realized that she was highly spatial and you know we we worked together a long time. So this woman was leaning towards um, and really attracted to the idea of architecture, right? Very spatial, real world, tangible things. Um, and one of the things we like people to do when they're getting really close to choosing a particular career, we want them to practice a little bit. Like put yourself in it. If you can Find an opportunity to do some pro bono work in it or volunteer. Um, and this particular woman had always wanted to put a deck or wanted a deck on the back of her house and just never got around to it. So we tasked her with, all right, see what you can do with this. Design a deck and build it. One, one weekend, two weekends, she designed a deck, went to Lowe's, got all the materials, built the deck, passed inspection, and came in and said, I'm going back to school. I'm going to become an architect. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, right. So that's a big difference. I've had people who've been working in insurance and claims um, and then have changed to uh, this one particular client, uh, a research librarian, librarian, sorry. She was always curious, always researching, always asking questions, spending hours and hours and hours at the History Museum, getting lost in all kinds of, um, historical documents and things like that, trying to find answers. So those are just some of the examples that we see. I guess that's a way, you know, how people say, oh, well, you should turn your passion into your work. But I think sometimes it's hard for people to figure out how to do that or how, how, that, can, how that can translate into a work that is satisfying and fulfilling. Yeah, you know, some people are searching for what is my passion, right? That's a really big question. And I try to get people to just take a little pressure off themselves instead of looking for what is my passion, because we we all define passion differently, right? I have some 
uh, really strong interests, but I don't necessarily the passions, right? Oh, right. Uh, Me too. Okay. Knitting. I like to knit. Is my <laughs> Is life about passion, knitting? Right? Not so much. <laughs> going to teach the world how to knit. Um, maybe not, but you enjoy it. So I try to take the focus a little bit off that whole find your passion and do that and come back to the science of things and the science of who you are. What are the things that come really naturally to you? What are you doing when you lose track of time? It could be cleaning out the garage or organizing the sock drawer. Those are really big clues. Thinking back to all those times people said, you're really good at ABC, right? Those are all clues that can point you in the right direction. Um, and for some people, a lot of people actually, the subject matter of what they do is far less important than the actual function of what they do. And that's another key thing we help people figure out. Oh, but people don't even think in no, terms of that. Right, you get paid to perform a function at work. And it's usually around one of three areas. It's either around people, or it's around things, objects in the real world, or concepts and ideas. Um, so what I do is really around people. What you do as an attorney is really all about concepts and ideas. Where concepts and idea intersect with people, though. Absolutely. So you have that application, right? Because, yes, you do have definitely a humanistic band with the N and the F in your ENFJ, um, which means you're, you're trying to do the right thing by people, but your function of what you're doing is basically helping them sort through concepts and ideas. And, oh, sure. Right? Yep. And, I, and it's easy, so easy for me to get concepts and ideas. Mm -hmm. But I, I find that, especially with estate planning and things like that, it's so hard for people mm -hmm. to get grasp, like, what, how do trusts work and how yeah. do wills work? That I, I came with, you see, I have that red box there. Yes. And I have this thing called a trust is like a box. And I, when you, I have found that when you can take those concepts and you can tie them to something physical in the yes. world, then people actually get it. And so mm -hmm. I explain how trust work with that. A trust is like a box box and the stuff that's in it and how it, and the difference between a trust and a will and mm -hmm. which ones are revocable, which ones are irrevocable. Yeah. And people, like, they light up. Oh, I get it now. That it's so easy for me. I'm yeah. like, yeah. <laughs> right. That's brilliant. And see, what's really great is that you're able to recognize, okay, people aren't getting it the way oh, yeah. I understand it. So you've got that design background and that ability to kind of turn it into a tangible thing and you pulled out your red box. That's great. That's a perfect example. It's wonderful. So for people who are wanting to, or for people who are wanting to start a company, like before they launch and figure out, is this the right thing for me? Would the testing you do be a value for them? Yes, I think absolutely. Because, you know, even if we start with the personality and temperament testing, the MBTI, um, there are certain of the 16 personality types that are, are better suited um, for entrepreneurship or small business ownership. Um, there certainly are. Um, and oftentimes, some of our personality uh, traits lead us to this idea of being our own boss, right? So for a lot of um, introverts, the idea of being able to manage their own schedule, to have a private space where they close the door, you know, not in corporate America sitting in the cube farm on the, in the middle of the floor, right? So there's a lot of things that are really attractive on the outside to small business ownership or solo entrepreneurship. Um, but we, we need to get them to see the other side of it too, right? So when you have your own business, it's really a lot of, depending on what type of business, it's putting yourself out there. It's promoting yourself, your business, your product, your service. So there are certain key personality types that lend themselves to be more conducive to small ownership. Doesn't mean the others can't do it. We just need to make people really aware of it. Um, and then there are some of those aptitudes, right? So... The diagnostic reasoning we're talking about, this ability to, you know, see pieces and parts and put it together, um, that's critical for a small business Because you have to wear so many hats. You do, exactly. Um, which leads to another aptitude we test for is idea flow. And this is that concept of, you know, how fast your brain is working in terms, in terms of coming up with new ideas. Some people work really fast and it's coming all the time. Others have a slower um, idea flow. Both are fine and great, um, but... Because it's the quality of the ideas that matter, not the quantity. Exactly. But 
what we do see is um, oftentimes people who have higher idea flow um, are more comfortable in smaller startups uh, because they can move from thing to thing to thing really quickly. And in fact, they feed off of it. Their brain gets really bored if they're stuck in an office for four hours just oh, that's working me. on one thing. I have thing. a very low tolerance for tedium. I would say if we tested you, Kimberly, you'd be supersonic high idea flow just for all the pieces and parts that you do um, in your day and all the neat things that you start, programs you start and services you offer. Yeah, definitely high idea flow for sure, which is great. Uh, the example I use there is if you've been in like a business setting uh, in corporate America and you have that brainstorming session, right? So you come in and then the question's tossed out and you're supposed to come up with as many yellow post-it notes, Oh, I just right? called that Tuesday at 9 a.m., but okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay, so for some of us, like me, with a lower idea flow, oh, brainstorming sessions were awful because there was this immediate need. You have 30 minutes right now in this room to put as many ideas up as possible. And I would always say, give me 24 hours and I have, I'll have 20 great ideas for you. But don't expect me to walk in and just, duh, off the top of my head without even knowing what the topic was going to be. And then you'd have colleagues, probably like yourself, who could walk in and be like, oh, this is fun, and stick up 20, right? Right? Yeah, I guess that's why, I mean, talking about that, that's why some people are, they talk about flying by the seat of their pants. Uh-huh. And I'm just like, yeah, of course I do that. Yes. So <laughs> I mean, I love planning. Don't get yeah. me wrong. Planning's mm-hmm. great. Mm-hmm. And I do plan. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I also can just be like, yeah, let's just go with it. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's the thing. You just hit on something else, too. So, you know, with personality type and temperament, these are preferences. It doesn't mean you can't do the other things. You certainly can. Uh, but it's what your natural preference is and where your sweet spot is. So like you just said, I can plan. Of course you can. You're running a successful business. Um, you can plan. But your natural state and probably when you have the most fun is when you get to just create all kinds of ideas. And That's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So That is true. So those are biggies. So yes, the type of testing we do can really help people who are potentially considering opening their own business or going out on their own. Um, it also can help like them determine areas of focus, right? So what I do is really very service-oriented. It's very humanistic, right? Working with people. But Maybe you're better suited, you know, you've got some product ideas and you want to promote real tangible products. You know, you're wiring, you're predisposed to one or the other. That makes sense. I definitely am, am myself also very humanistic. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think it would be, it'd be cool to design some gadget, but I just don't know how you do that. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And probably- Unless it serves people in some way. Aha. Uh-huh. Exactly. So you do have lots of tools, right, that you've developed in your practice that serve people. They just tend to be a little bit more intangible or, right? Yeah, I suppose that's true. For people who already have a business, and there's there's always aspects of of the business that you love, and there's aspects that you don't love. If somebody is just really challenged with finding satisfaction and fulfillment, or if they're if they're feeling like half the hats I'm wearing aren't the right hats for me, how can they figure out what hats to offload? So I think sometimes just sitting back, I know this is going to sound very woo-woo, but sitting back and just being quiet and thinking about those things. Because often we put ourselves in situations where there are expectations for us, you know, in our, our current work. Um, and uh, we just figure out how to do it, right? And we think, well, that's just part of life. I'm going to, work is going to feel like work. And I'm here to say it doesn't have to. So it's about listening and paying attention to what things feel more natural. What part of your work do you really like? Right? What feels comfortable? And I'd even, you know, caution you to be really cognizant of those things you're glossing over. Because oftentimes the things that come most naturally, the things we're most gifted in and talented at, um, we don't even see them as a talent because they just come so natural. So when I was in corporate, um, I constantly would have team members and other people's team members lined up, you know, to come talk to me about about their careers or um, interpersonal relationships that were happening, you know, with teams or other supervisors or managers, right? Um, 
there's always a box of tissues on my desk <laughs> because I, we just always needed them every day. I don't know. And I, I, I knew that that happened all the time, no matter what job in marketing I had. I had people coming to talk to me. Um, but I didn't realize that that was a gift, that that was a talent, that there was something about me um, or the way that I helped them see things that caused people to do that. So if you're thinking about, you know, making a career change or potentially opening a new business or what have you, pay attention because sometimes you're not even, you don't even recognize the things that you're really brilliant at. So look at the things that, that you like doing that come really easy to you, right? If things are really difficult or things take you three, four, five times longer to complete than some of your peers who are doing the same things. Or it's the thing that shows up in your to-do list over and over again and you oh, should yes. do it, but then you never Absolutely. actually do it. Really, really good point, Kimberly. That, yes, because there, there is like some big ugly monster hiding in that task on that to-do list that you keep putting it off, right? For some reason, it feels really difficult for you. Um, yeah, that's a good call out. Definitely. Well, if people would like to reach out and visit with you about what you do or, or even maybe have you do um, testing yeah. and consulting, how yeah. can people reach out to you? Yeah. Um, so I have uh, my own private practice, and you can um, either visit my website. I'll give that to you. It's www.kellymarie.com. Lewis.com. It's easy to spell the simple way. K-E-L-L-Y-M-A-R-I-E Lewis, L-E-W-I-S.com. Or you can give me a call, um, area code 952-456-8467. And what I always like to do is just start out with just a, a consultation, just a complimentary consultation. We can talk on the phone and talk about what's going on in your working life and where you're feeling pain and um, see if I can help you out. And then oftentimes we, we move into the testing and then we have a, a full career choice program where we start with testing, move people through the process of gathering clues, understanding what they mean, creating the spec sheet for an ideal job for them, then finding careers that match, and then making a choice. It sounds like so much fun. I want to do it, even though I already have my ideal career because I built it that way. But I'm yes. like, I want to yeah. do it. You know, It'd you, be so you, much fun. You also hit on something, too. You just said, I have my ideal career because I built it that way. And what this process is really about is designing your life, designing your career. And you do that by getting clear and clarity on those elemental pieces of who you are and then putting the puzzle back together of the most important pieces to you. It's about uh, designing, which is exactly what you said. So, you know, keep in mind, fully 70% of Americans say they're either um, neutral or dissatisfied in their current work. And only 20%, a Gallup poll uh, recently said that 20% of Americans reported that they use their best strengths every day at work. You only know, 20%. You know what? And I have this thing. I'm writing a book about it. Ah, I don't know if I told you about I don't that. Think so. Anyway. <laughs> Preview of coming attractions. <laughs> I'm writing this book about people have this idea that um, they have work life and they have home life, mm. but no, you just have life, mm -hmm. and all life is is like one moment to the next, to the next, to the next. And if you think that having like a great home life makes up for having a crappy work life, or vice versa. Mm -hmm. And you think that your experience of life is going to be the average of the true? It's not true. You, your experience of life sinks to the lowest level mm -hmm. of satisfaction that you have in any aspect of your life. So in order to have a happy, fulfilling, successful life, you have to build it by design. Absolutely. I think that's fantastic that, that you're writing that story because it is, it is so the truth. And what I like to say is that your work should be um, an extension of who you are. It's not about leaving the house at 7.30 in the morning, go to work at 8 until 5. And then I had someone say to me when I was feeling lots of pain um, back in my um, corporate work, they said, you know, you don't need to live your life on the side. And that has stuck with me, and I've said it to so many people, because so many of us are in the wrong careers, and we just stay there, and then we try to squeeze in the rest of life on the weekends or our two weeks of vacation, right? Yeah, it doesn't have it makes to be no that sense. way. So to your point, <laughs> yeah, the work-life balance, it's all one thing. Yeah. yeah. 
So awesome. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much. See, I love to talk about this. I could talk about it for three more hours. And All right. We'll I'll have you back. <laughs> that's, you how I, that's how I know I'm in the right spot. Right? <laughs> Very good. Thank you so much, Kimberly. Thanks. next week for the Small Business Buzz when I talk about asset protection strategies for women business owners. Sorry, fellas. We'll also visit with Eric Olson, the founder of Pedal Pub, about his experience establishing Pedal Pub and growing its American distribution, and why he chose to license the famous party bikes instead of franchising them. You can find links and other useful information on our show notes at thesmallbusinessbuzz.com. And be sure to follow us on iTunes or Stitcher. If you're liking what you're hearing, please give us a good rating and maybe even leave a review. Of course, a lawyer would have a disclaimer, and here is mine. Any information provided on the show is for informational purposes only and is not intended as legal advice. The show theme music is Pioneers by Jason Shaw, released under a Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 license. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next week.